Hello and welcome to a special Wednesday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Rapay. He's Chris Stanzial. As tradition, on Big East Tournament Week, we usually play it a little differently. We have one episode right before the Big East Tournament, going through everything, wrapping up the regular season, offering a few predictions, and just going over what went down and then getting ready for the Big East Tournament later today. And then we will revisit everything next week after the tournament is over, after the confetti has dropped, after a champion has been named, and Selection Sunday and all that. We got a lot to unpack here because, Chris, I don't think anyone could have predicted the way that this regular season went. And not just that, the last week in itself was the whole season in a nutshell. So unpredictable, so much chaos, every game mattered until the final buzzer. This was probably the wackiest week of Big East hoops, probably since realignment, because as Villanovans, there was a one-week pass where it felt weird. Yeah, you, you got to root for Seton Hall against Marquette, and then you got to root for Georgetown on Saturday, which is, first of all, bizarre. I don't think there's ever a universe where a Villanovan, a Wildcat, a Nova Nationer would want to root for Georgetown, but there we were on Saturday, hoping for another upset, hoping that Marquette could continue that losing streak, and it just seemed like between Nova and Marquette, both schools with an opportunity to wrap up, lock in a regular season title, claim the top seed. It was like, oh, no, no, after you. Oh, no, please, I insist. Oh, no, you can have it. I don't mind. Oh, no, 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 no. Help yourself. Help yourself. What a bizarre twist in that on that Saturday. What a bizarre week it was. Chris, what were your thoughts on this final week of the regular season? What were your thoughts on how this past weekend went down? Man, just such a great finish in terms of chaos to such a great year. Yeah, I guess this is what happens when you put a bunch of mediocre teams in a in a conference. Look, Villanova and Marquette are clearly the cream of the crop but in this conference right now, but honestly, like, do you trust them going into the Big East tournament? Do you even trust them in the NCAA tournament? Do you trust Seton Hall and Georgetown, who have looked pretty good the past week or two, to even to win a game in the Big East tournament? Yes, they're facing each other, but do you trust any of them? Do you trust Xavier and Creighton in that 4-5 game to give you a good game and then potentially go on and win? You, you don't know what to expect, but it would be good in the sense that if like these teams were like really good, like, I don't know, you look at the Big Ten, you got all those teams at the top and they're like battling it out. But like those are good teams. Like these teams, like we're all in the bubble. So it's like I guess it does add for excitement. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, it kind of feels like a little empty in the sense that it's like it might be all for naught at the end of the day because the Big East, at best case scenario, might end up with only four teams in the in the tournament. So this Big East title, like I'm thrilled they won the Big East. I'm thrilled Villanova won the Big East. But at the same time, it, it, they backed into it so hard, like you were just saying before. We always make fun of the cliche, oh, they wanted it more. Well, it was the exact opposite of who wanted it less. It was just a really weird thing. Like, it was fun, don't get me wrong, because, like, you had all this drama building up for the last day, and literally not one seed was determined going into Saturday for the Big East tournament. But it's like, man, you think the good teams would win and they don't. They just lay duds the last game of the year. And you look at Marquette laying a dud for the last week. And then all these other teams just like you just don't know what to expect. So, yes, it's good in the sense that it does provide that unexpectedness, some fun to the, to the last week or so. But at the same time, it's like these teams aren't that good. Are they that good? We I, I don't know. I, I don't really think so. Yes, it could provide for a great tournament. But at the same time, it's like, man, I wish like these teams would be just a little bit better. I wish the good teams would win a little bit more. 
I guess it's one of those things that we'll never know for sure until the NCAA tournament. But if there is one thing that we definitely know is, yes, this Big East tournament coming up later today is going to be popping. It's going to be banging. It's going to be nuts. It's going to be wild. I'm very excited for it. But, yes, there is definitely a difference between having parity and then also being very good. I think right now the Big East is young as a conference. So, yes, you're right in that we'll only probably see maybe four teams get an NCAA tournament berth, which is, while not bad, it is a little bit of a drop-off compared to what the Big East has done over the last couple of years where they're sending seven teams or almost eight teams in. We're going to have to wait and see and judge that once the big dance comes around and once Selection Sunday comes around. But first, let's just look at this game that happened on Saturday. So it was great because all the games were pretty much one after another, so you never really felt like you had to overlap or maybe flip between two different games. First up, we had Nova versus Seton Hall. Tough game, very tough game, kind of what we expected. We said how, you know, no matter what happens in the first meeting, no matter what happens in Philly or at the Pavilion, you know, Nova could just thrash Seton Hall by 30. But for some reason, when the series heads over to the Rock, it's a completely different effort. It's a completely different atmosphere. It's a completely different look from the Pirates. And that's exactly what we got. You were there. You were up there firsthand in the rock, down in the trenches, fighting the good fight, repping the nation. Chris, it was a tough game. 79 to 75 final score. Seton Hall pulling off the upset. Put Villanovans at the edge of their seat hoping for Marquette to just choke it so that way we would hold on to the regular season title, which is exactly what happened. But in that moment, in this two, three-hour window when this game was going down and then the aftermath, it was a little it was a little upsetting. It was a little upsetting. A little bit of a slow start for the Wildcats, but they settled in throughout the second half. You had Colin Gillespie leading the way with 22 points. All five starters for Nova hit double digits, but we'll get into that. Phil Booth had 16, Eric Pascal had 14, Sadiq Bey with 13, Jermaine Samuels with 10. And then on the Seton Hall side, you had Miles Powell leading the way after being a non-factor in the earlier meeting against Nova at the Wells Fargo Center. He bounced back with a big 20-point, 7-rebound, 5-assist effort to lead the Pirates. And then you also had Miles Kale shooting the lights out, 6 of 8 from deep en route to a 19-point performance. Jared Roden, who are you? Where did you come from? He had 15 points, was 3 of 4 from deep. Started off a perfect 3 for 3 and route to a nine, quick 9-point nine blitz. And then you had Michael Lenzi, Sanjay Mambu, Kalashvili. They also finished in double figures. Chris, I don't want to dwell on this too long. Because as we saw, this loss, while it stung, it didn't matter as much because we were able to lock in that number 1 seed. We were able to secure another regular season title, the 5th in 6 years. What were your impressions of this game? What went wrong? What were some positives? What can we take away from this game? Use it as a learning experience moving forward into this do-or-die Big East tournament. And then ultimately, the NCAA tournament when everything is all final. When everything is win or go home. See, I guess the one positive, at least the one positive I'm taking away from this, is that Colin Gillespie at least seems to be back. 4 or 5 from deep, 8 of 12 from the field. He hit pretty much every big shot they needed to, and I, he was only limited to 27 minutes because of his early foul trouble. So even if, if he wasn't in foul trouble, I feel like he probably would have had a better game. 
I, I thought whenever Villanova needed a shot in that game, he hit it. So props to him and able to at least turn around at least for one game and hopefully he can continue that momentum going forward. As a whole, I really don't think they played that bad. Yes, they did turn it over at some inopportune times, especially in late game situations. But as a team, I, I felt like they played okay. The starting five obviously was the only people who scored because DCR and Cremo did lay the big goose egg coming off the bench. The only two to come off the bench. Cremo with an 0-4 day wasn't the ultimate factor in the reason why Villanova lost, but it was a pretty big factor, especially when you're bricking three open threes. At least there was three of them that he was wide open. I don't I don't remember the fourth one. Again, like we keep talking about him and we still expect him to turn around, but I, I think at this point, I, I just don't know. But I thought Booth did okay. Like, you know, the whole hero ball thing, I thought he had a fine game. Sadiq Bey hit every three he took, which was a pretty big moment for him because his three-point shooting is either hot or cold. Samuels, I mean, he did all right. I think he got really wrecked on the boards, though. Like, he did okay. Like, he, he grabbed eight total boards. But Mamu, as they affectionately call him at Seton Hall, he had 10 offensive rebounds. And I know it's, it's he wasn't uh, – Samuels' main responsibility throughout the entire game. I know DCR also came in to help as well. But when you're allowing 10 offensive rebounds to one player, you got some of the blame has to go onto some of your big rebounders like Pascal and Samuels, and even Bay if you really want to go into that. So as a whole, I thought they played all right. They shot well. They shot the same three-point percentage as Seton Hall, which it did not feel like at all. I felt like Seton Hall was shooting like way over 50% from three, or at least their threes felt like they were coming in big runs and really gave them all the momentum. But the fact that Seton Hall out-rebounded uh, Villanova 35 to 30 and 10 to 8 on the offensive side just gave them that much more extra possessions and then they were just able to win because of it. And also one nitpick, I don't want to go I, I don't want to criticize them that much, but Jay Wright at the end, that coaching, I, I, I look, I understand where they were what they were trying to do with the fouls and all you want to play the foul game, but at the same time, there was two instances there where you shouldn't have fouled. I don't, I don't know what you thought about that. The late game execution had a couple people very upset on Twitter, very upset on the social media. There was also the instance where he was supposed to get a tech, and then he didn't get a tech, and then Seton Hall fans said it was all rigged just because it's Jay, the golden boy. It was tough because, you know, when you look at that game and you look how Nova was just so slow in the first half, and they were, they were fighting. They fought the whole way to their credit, and it was one of those games where I was like, okay, They've done this before. They either fight their way back, they make it a one-basket game, but they just never get the shots they need to come back, or they complete the comeback, and then all is good. All is good in the world. Unfortunately, this was one of those games where Nova fought its way back and then just mentally laid a dud at the end. I didn't fully understand what was going on either. I was a little frustrated by the fouling. I also thought the refs were just as a whole very frustrating in that game. I don't know how you felt or what you saw being mm -hmm. there up in person, but the refs was just not happy with them. Like, yes, you know, you shouldn't blame the refs, but just overall for the whole game, they just frustrated me. Yeah, Seen Hall was within the was in the bonus. Thirteen minutes left in the second half. That like shouldn't happen at all. And it was tit for tat too. Like it was it was going on both sides at least early on in the second half. But then they just kept rattling them off against Villanova, and it just got out of hand. But yeah, with the, with the late game situation, I don't really know if Jay called for the fouls or not because the DCR foul on that first time that they really shouldn't have fouled and played it played it out on defense, he reacted as if like, "What the heck are you doing, DCR?" Like he, he really he shouldn't have fouled. So I don't think he called for it. But then the second time when Cremo fouled, you had 45 seconds left in the game with a fresh 30 second shot clock. Phil Booth just made three free throws. 
play it out. Play it out on defense. Get the stop. You get the stop, you can go down and hit a three. It's unlikely, I guess, but like I'd rather do that than give them free points, especially when you're fouling these guys who they weren't 20 to 27 from the line. It's pretty good. It's 75%. I won't take my chances with that. And they were fouling Powell. I know he didn't take the last ones in that situation, but they were fouling him up to that. There was no need to do that at all. Could have played it out on defense. And we saw this last year too in that St. John's game at home that they ended up losing. It was that same thing where they had the stupid fouls at the end. I, I just, I don't get it. To the Pirates' credit, I, you know, you, you just got to give them props for the win. I mean, they came into that week with their backs against the walls, desperate to save their NCAA tournament hopes. They got the big win over Marquette, and then they topped it off with a upset of Nova. Two very big games that I saw them as complete underdogs in, and they were able to not only win one, but win both. Huge props for them, but I think there were two things that really changed the outcome of this game, and one, you mentioned it, and it was the rebounding. Yes, Seton Hall only had 13 second-chance points, which all things considered – Considering how they gave up 18 offensive rebounds, got obliterated on the boards, that's not bad. 13 points off 18 offensive boards is not bad. At the same time, though, when you're trying to come back, there is nothing that kills your momentum more than giving up an offensive rebound or a second chance or giving a team an extra possession. This is the last thing you want. And then the second thing is, aside from Miles Kale shooting the lights out, we said that him and Powell were pretty much the only three-point shooting threats. But for Miles Kale to go six of eight, shoot the lights out, have an extraordinary performance, was not only big, but Jared Roden was going into that game averaging like three points a game. And then out of nowhere had the shooting performance of his life coming off the bench. He only had 15, which in the grand scheme of things is not much compared, you know, when you look at like what other players can do. But for a guy who's averaging three points and just save his best performance for last, that killed Nova. But what can you do? What can you do? No, I mean, yeah, what can you do about that? Some guy got hot, and that's that's what happens. And I guess you can – a silver lining, if you want to take, take a positive spin on this, is that Villanova played a good game with no bench points. Seton Hall had to basically get an all-world performance from Powell, an all-world performance from Kale, and an all-world performance from a guy averaging three points a game. And they only beat Villanova by four. So even with Seton Hall getting pretty much every break they could – they still could barely beat Villanova. I know it's not exactly the best way to look at it, but you got to take a positive spin on this. So if that if there's a positive spin, it's that. And I kind of equated Seton Hall, I've been saying it, that they're kind of like a kid on a sugar rush. Once the crowd gets into it, they just start doing whatever. Like they'll hack up threes from like half court like Powell was doing. This time he was hitting them and that just did him in. And that's how Powell was able to rack up 20. That's how Kale was able to rack up 19. Like once the crowd gets into it and they'll like, do whatever they can they'll play out of their minds but then they'll tire themselves out and that's how Villanova was able to creep into it and I was like okay just let them do what they want they'll tire themselves out and Villanova will be able to methodically come back into it and that's what happened but obviously Seton Hall was able to pull away at the end you know it is what it is it's the last game of the regular season I, I mean I left the arena and I was like eh sucks they lost but like it wasn't the end of the world like you usually feel when you lose to Seton Hall and also the Big East tournament's right around the corner so it's not the worst thing yeah my thing with it was you know it's Never fun losing to Seton Hall, especially with the way that they treat it like a national championship game. It's like take down a couple notches. You're the all you're all the way up here. You gotta be down here. It was just one game in the regular season. But there was a lot of assurance a couple hours later when Georgetown was able to outduel Marquette at the Pfizer form of all places, beating them by just two, hanging on for the win. Chris, Marquette's 
The loss right now was Villanova's big gain because it allowed Villanova to lock up the title. And we were talking about how, all right, well, you know, now we're one game behind. I don't know if we're going to have enough to overtake them. Like, I think we could at best be looking at a share of the title. But no, don't worry. Marquette lost once again, continuing to losing streak to four games. You got to, if you're a Marquette fan, you're probably feeling even more panicked than how us Villanova fans felt during that three-game losing streak. Because now you're going into the biggest tournament with four straight losses. You drop to now 12-6 and six in conference play after looking amazing up until then. For Nova, fortunately, with the crown, with another title, it was able to wash the bitter taste out of our mouths heading into the Big East tournament, which we got later today. But before we get to that, we got to talk about some awards, some postseason stuff. Shoutouts to Georgetown. Shoutouts to Seton Hall, even though Seton Hall beat us. And even though we don't like both teams really that much. But shout-outs to the both of them for doing Nova solid this week. Just this one time, I guess as Villanovans, we get to thank them. So before we get into the Big East tournament, we just got to put on the finishing touches on this regular season, talk about some accolades that were handed out. We still have the Big East Player of the Year, Coach of the Year, all the major individual awards that will come out later today after this podcast has been dropped. But Chris, I just want to talk to you about the All Big East teams that were announced on Sunday and then a couple of the little awards that came out on Monday. But first, if you look at the All-Conference teams, big shout-outs to Phil Booth and Eric Pascal for being named to the All Big East first team. And then for Sadiq Bey, getting some props, some recognition as a member of the All Big East freshman team. Congrats to the three of them. Played very well this year, and it's great to see our cats get recognized. Chris, when you look at these teams, the first team, second team, honorable mention, the All-Freshman team, what sticks out to you? Do you agree with how the Biggies viewed it? Do you feel like maybe there were a couple snubs or maybe you'd move some guys around a little bit? No. <laughs> Honestly, like I'm looking at all this and I'm just like, it, it all makes sense. I really don't see anybody who got snubbed. I don't think I'd move anybody around. I think the all Big East first team is perfect. Powell, Howard, Pons, Booth, Pascal, Govan. I mean, that's the cream of the crop of the conference right now. The second team with Baldwin, Struess, Sam Hauser, Alpha Diallo, Najee Marshall. I mean, that, that's a great selection right there. And then you look at the honorable mentions with Cromple and Tyshawn Alexander. Maybe, maybe you could put Tyshawn Alexander on the second team. But again, I, I don't know who you remove. I mean, Struess was pretty big for DePaul down the stretch. I mean, Baldwin, Mar Baldwin, he had a great year. Diallo on Providence had a great year. I mean, look, look, all these guys played pretty well. Don't really have a problem with any of them. Uh, congrats to Booth and Pascal on getting named to the first team. And then on the freshman team, I think the, probably the most astounding thing about the freshman team is, yeah, Sadiq Bey's on it, and that's great. Congratulations to him. But look at Georgetown. They got three guys on there. They're on the upswing, and I know they're only the sixth seed in the Big East tournament, but they got a good squad coming up. And if they can develop and you can develop them, like they, they can be a problem down the road. They probably will be a problem down the road. So so props to them on getting their program back on track. But as a Villanova fan, obviously, you don't want that. Yeah, we, don't, we want them to get good, but not too good. That makes sense. Total credit to Patrick Ewing. He seems like he's working out a lot more or a lot better than I thought he would initially. Granted, you know, Georgetown still has a couple more years to go, but it is promising when you do see three all Big East freshman players, and especially those three freshmen that were on that squad, Akinjo, LeBlanc, and McClunk, they were big impact players this year. They were nice complimentary pieces around Govan, and they were able to jump in right away and just make an impact and be able to contribute. So it'll be interesting and real fun to see how they develop down the line. 
they're definitely going to be problems later. But yeah, I don't really have a problem with these all conference teams. I think that it's perfect. The first team's perfect. Second team's good. Honorable mention team is still good. The freshman team, I think they literally listed the best six freshmen there. So I don't have a problem with that. I don't really think that there was anyone that was snubbed or that you could really move anyone around. It's probably the first year since realignment where I'm like, this is absolutely perfect. There's no problems here. Yeah, there's always one that you got to complain about, but hey, good good on them. I don't know if it was because it was an easier year because the, I don't know, you just had one guy or two guys on each team that were clearly good and everybody else were just going to eh. But yeah, this is perfect across the board, I'd say. And then on Monday, we got to see a few more individual awards, not the big kahunas just a couple more secondary individual awards unfortunately there were no villanovans the big east did announce it's a defensive player of the year and that went to st john's justin simon most improved player went to paul reed of depaul the sixth man award went to paul jorgensen dj Polly j over there at butler and then the biggie sportsmanship award went to nate fowler who's also a butler i don't know what they do or how they pick that because there is scholar athlete and then there is sportsmanship award so i don't know how they, exactly they figure that one out but hey you know congrats to nate fowler get an award all those awards kind of make sense i mean i thought defensive player of the year would have gone to theo john maybe just because he led the conference in blocks but justin simon is a very good defensive player and honestly Kind of forgot he existed. <laughs> Not a knock on him or St. John's. It's just that he's just one of those guys that flew under the radar all year. And good to see he got at least recognized somehow. Uh, most improved player, it reads a good option. I mean, nice to see DePaul finally bringing some hardware. I would have gave it a Struess, but, you know, it's, just, it's a guy in DePaul. So you got to be happy for them. And with Jorgensen as the sixth man, it's a good pick. I'd say he did struggle towards the middle of the year, had a lot of bad games in a row, lost a few minutes in playing time, but then towards the end of the year, was able to pick it up again. So I have no problem with that choice at all. And uh, yeah, the sportsmanship award, is that voted on by the referees or is that voted on by the coaches? Because I feel like if it's vote, it should be voted on by the referees. I could not tell you. No. I have zero insight on how the sportsmanship award is selected. Oh, uh, well, I feel like it would be cool to have the refs vote to, you know, actually determine who actually is the most worthy of that award on the court but i guess that's a good pick too i can't really get mad over the sportsmanship award <laughs> yeah definitely no complaints for nate fowler's award yeah with defensive player of the year justin simon you know he used to be a big part of the saint john's offense he was the secondary scorer he's a nice veteran presence on a team that a couple new guys has a very young bench and so even though he was a bigger part last year and being that secondary option to Shamori Ponds, helping out Marvin Clark. This year, he gets to take a little bit of the backseat with Mustafa Heron, LJ Figueroa, being impact transfers. And then you got Marvin Clark still doing his thing, chipping in double digits, and then Shamori Ponds being Shamori Ponds. So that just allowed Simon to just kind of be known as that defensive guy. He did a great job against Miles Powell and Marcus Howard, two biggies player of the year contenders. Odds are one of them will probably get the award for Biggie's Player of the Year this year, but we'll see in a couple hours. Most improved player, I would have loved to see Tyshawn Alexander get it. I thought that he was deserving, but if you look at the both of them, they both made huge jumps this year. I just thought that Alexander's jump was a little bit bigger, but hey, you know, shout out to DePaul. Shout out to DePaul, giving them awards. And then Paul Jorgensen, this was a little hard. When I kind of thought 
about a six man. I, you know, there was no clear cut favorite or there were no like two or three guys that really stood out. It wasn't like last year where it was like Dante DiVincenzo, six starter, of course. This time around with Paul Jorgensen kind of being a little cold for a little bit of a while and then starting to heat up again, you kind of thought like, okay, well, he was a little bit inconsistent. Wasn't really the guy he was last year when he just seemed to always be on. But when you look at it, I don't really think there's another six man that comes to mind. So, like Nate Fowler, no complaints for DJ Pauly J. And then, as we know, the big individual awards are coming out later today. Chris, I don't want to dive into it for too long because I want to make sure we leave time to go over the Big East tournament and also go through some fan listener questions that we got. But very quickly, who is your pick for Big East player of the year? Who is your pick? for coach of the year, and also freshman of the year. I guess we could trade off one for one. So, Chris, first off, who is your pick for player of the year? Marcus Howard. Even though he kind of struggled down the stretch, he was by far the best player. Yeah, I would also say Howard. He's the biggest leading scorer right now, averaging 25 points per game. He's also top six nationally. We saw what kind of player he could be. He's definitely a game changer. He's definitely been a catalyst for Marquette's success this year. So, yeah. You know, not only is he performing individually, but he's also helped carry his team. So, yeah, I have no problem with him as player of the year. Next up, Big East Coach of the Year. This one's probably a little tough. There are definitely a couple angles you can go with this, but which one are you taking? I hate to say it, and we got to talk about him, but I, I think it's going to Kevin Willard. Seton Hall was not predicted to do well this year, and they finished third in the conference. And they finished it up strong with two wins against the two ranked teams in the conference at the time. And recency bias is a thing, and I bet you the voting will kind of skew towards that. So I expect it to be Kevin Willard, but for some reason, I have a feeling Jay Wright might somehow uh, somehow get some uh, votes that might end up in a tie, and heck, even Wojo might up, end up in there. But I believe it's going to Kevin Willard. For a while, I kept saying Wojo, and I kept telling people Wojo, but I think that now that Marquette is on this losing streak, which isn't the thing that I think killed them, it's the fact that they had the crown and then they effectively lost it. And I think that that's going to it's going to cost Wojo a couple points here in the voting. And then after Wojo, I kept saying Kevin Willard because yes, you know, when you lose a class that they had, granted there were some head scratching losses along the way, but there were also some very very big wins. But I think when you look at the Pirates overall as a whole, this was a team that was not supposed to be that good. They lost Delgado, Rodriguez, Carrington, we know how good those guys were and what they meant to that program. But for them to not only probably make it to the NCAA tournament, turn some heads along the way, I could see going with Willard. I think another angle you can go with it is uh, Patrick Ewing. Just because Georgetown has just been so trash since realignment. And I think now this year, they starting to get some hope. Starting to get some hope. Put a little glimmer in there. No, that's a good pick with Ewing. Actually, I, I kind of want to rephrase that. So I, I still believe it'll go to Willard, but I think Ewing might come in second then. Don't sleep on Jay Wright, though. You, you do honestly do have a point. I've seen it on Twitter, and like at first I kind of go, uh, uh, I don't know about that. But then people are like, oh, well, you know, he lost four NBA talents, and they won the Big East regular season title. And I'm just like, oh, but they're predicted to win the Big East regular season title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like. He did what he was supposed to do. And, and, like, that's good, obviously, but when it comes to this type of voting procedure, it usually goes to the guy who takes a team that wasn't as expected to be as good. And 
they're they're a little bit better than expected. And also there's a difference between like the first couple of years where Nova was just head and shoulders above everyone. It's like, oh, well, yeah, definitely give it to Jay because like everyone else is not that good. But yeah, there's no no knock on Jay because he's done a pretty good job this year. But I think that there are just a couple more deserving candidates here. Next one up, who is your freshman of the year? I'm going to, you know what? Screw it. I'm going Sadiq Bay. I, I like the Georgetown cast of characters over there. Joey Hauser was good at the beginning. I feel like he kind of faded down the stretch a bit too, as did the rest of Marquette. But I'm going with Sadiq Bay because why not? Give Villanova an award because we can't get shut out. <laughs> it's kind of a shame that the two preseason picks, David Duke and Javon Cornelly, did not work out and they did not make the all-freshman team. But I actually think that they're going to do a share, and I think it's going to be between James Akinjo and Mac McClung. That's who I see the Biggies going with. I hope they don't do a three-way share, because I, I already don't like when they share titles. I think that's a cop-out. But if they do three like they did that one year with the Defensive Player of the Year Award, where it was like Josh Hart, Mikhail Bridges, Kyrie Thomas, that's obscene, and I don't think they're going to do that. But I definitely see a share. Not that I'm a fan of them, but Akinjo and McClung – their numbers are pretty similar, so I feel like they're going to share it between those two guys. But we'll see how these awards play out. They're going to be announced hours before the Big East tournament because you always got to add that last bit of anticipation right before we start the actual tournament. Yeah, I'll be keeping an eye out on that. That's it for the all the awards, all the accolades. Now that that's all out of the way, Chris, we got the big tournament. This is probably one of my favorite weeks in the whole calendar year. Second to only selection Sunday, and then the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. Chris, this tournament, man, we're going to get this wrong. I think, you know, first off, we just got to accept the fact that we're probably going to get this wrong. This will not be an easy tournament to predict and break down. 100%. We're going we're gonna to mess this up. We always do. We mess it up when, we ever, we're, when we're even supposed to know what we're talking about. And we, we kind of have it figured out. But this year, yeah, we're, we're just this is just flipping a coin on everything. And it's funny because in the years past, I feel like we overthought it. It was like, oh, you know, this, but I, I can kind of see this. This year, it's definitely, basically, you're right. It is a coin flip. So I feel more compelled to just stick with a route and go with it. Now, I already made my picks kind of known in my giant Biggie's Tournament primer, which is on viewhoops.com. Love putting that thing together every year and always love looking back at it. I think there was only one time where I picked it correctly, and that was 2016 where it was like pretty close to identical. Since then, we've been trying to hit it. I've guessed the winners, but I'm we're trying to get everything right. Chris, generally speaking, what do you think we're going to see this weekend? What are you looking for in this weekend? I know for me personally, it's I'm going to have the magnifying glass. I'm going to have the binoculars, the telescope honed in on all the different bubble teams because this is their last ditch effort. This is their last opportunity for them to hopefully, in their case, get a couple wins and then secure a spot in the NCAA tournament. Because for a couple of these teams, they're really on the fringe right now. And I think that that's going to be compelling, aside from the fact that this is just going to be a total wild card of a week. So, yeah, I'm going to be focused on the bottom half of the bracket. And I know that's not Villanova's side, and I know we're Villanova fans and all that. But the bottom half of the bracket is so intriguing. And it's for the reason why is because, like you said, bubble teams. St. John's finishes up Wednesday against the Paul. Now, obviously, St. John's plays their games at MSG or some of their most of their games at MSG. So they'll have the home court advantage throughout. And in the past, it really hasn't much it hasn't really played paid dividends, but they do get the Paul at first. Then if they win that, they'll get Marquette. 
St. John's has beaten Marquette twice this year. Can they do it a third time? It's really hard to beat a team three times in a season. You hear that all the time in the NFL. And I feel like it kind of rings true in, the, in NCAA basketball as well. So St. John's has not a clear path, but they have a favorable path and they get the Paul. Then you get a team that they beat twice already in the year. And then if you win that, you get the winner of Seton Hall, Georgetown. And they could beat both those teams as well. But also you got Seton Hall and Georgetown facing off against each other on Thursday in a game that Seton Hall might have clinched their ticket when they beat Villanova this past weekend, but they're still fighting for their lives. Like if they lose to Georgetown, you can make the case that they might not make it. You can make the case. I don't think it'll happen, but you can make the case. And Georgetown's fighting for their tournament lives too, because I think they've played themselves into the bubble conversation at least. So maybe Georgetown wins that. And then, then they get another matchup with Marquette. Then if you beat Marquette, you can improve upon your resume even more and then get to the final. And then heck, you can win it all. So that bottom half of the bracket is so intriguing because you got St. John's, Seton Hall, and Georgetown, all bubble teams, even though I do think Seton Hall is probably going to make the tournament regardless of what they do in the Big East tournament. And then you got Marquette trying to turn turn it around and see if they can maybe right the ship against the team they haven't beaten all year. And then how interesting would it be to get Marquette, Seton Hall, a rematch over a week after they last met? That'll be fun. That whole bottom half of the bracket is going to be so intriguing and so fun to watch. And then obviously you got our guys at the top with a potential matchup against Providence which would scare the crap out of me. And this is something you highlighted a few weeks ago where you would say, oh, this is the one team I wouldn't want to see in the Big East tournament again. I don't. I certainly don't. So I'm kind of hoping Butler wins that. And then you got Xavier Creighton as the 4-5. Might be the forgotten game of the of, of Thursday there. Then they face the winner of Villanova slash Providence Butler and see how that goes from there as well. I'm honed in on the bottom half of the bracket. And obviously I'll be intrigued as to what Villanova does, but it's going to be interesting to see what those bubble teams do. It really is. The other side of the bracket will definitely be more compelling. I think if you're a Villanova fan, you love the draw. You love how everything worked out because, well, first of all, you know, there was all those different scenarios leading into Saturday and who would finish where, what seed they would get after applying the 5,000 million uh, tiebreakers and going through all the different records. Fortunately, we didn't have to do any of that. I hope that the guy who sorted out all different tiebreakers at the Big East Conference got paid overtime to figure it out and put together that bracket. But yes, for Villanova, for the potential teams on their side of the bracket that they may face going into the championship game, Nova's collective 7-1 and one against the likes of Butler, Xavier, Creighton, Providence. That's very favorable, as opposed to you look at some of the other teams on the other side of the bracket. You got Seton Hall, Marquette, teams that have knocked off Villanova at least once this season. I'm glad we ended up where we were. Because I did think going into the season that Nova would at least make it to the championship game for the fifth straight year, which is very impressive. Very, very impressive. As for winning it, we'll see. I think you do prove a great point. As with many things in the Big East Conference this year, it's like rock, paper, scissors. You got St. John's who swept the Marquette this year. But interestingly enough, St. John's got swept by DePaul. Now, I know you said, you know, this is kind of the season where we look at is it possible to beat a team three times in a single season? It's hard to do in football and basketball. The myth has actually been slightly debunked by a hoop scientist. His name is Jordan Sperber. He went through the last 10 seasons. And the team that is 2-0 in a matchup over the last 10 years of college basketball hoops, they have won game number three 72% of the time. Very interesting numbers. So in a way, it's kind of a myth because the guy that does sweep the regular season Happens to win in the postseason every time. But if you're betting against the spread, it's actually a coin flip and it's actually not guaranteed. But in terms of pure wins and losses, the 2-0 team does end up beating the team three times in a row. We'll get to see. 
As always, anything can happen, and I'm pretty sure that'll be the theme, the mantra, the motto of this Biggies tournament. Anything can happen. It'll be fun to watch. We got the first round tonight, Butler Providence in one, and then we got St. John's DePaul in the other. Interesting. It's so funny for all the things like, oh, here's DePaul turning themselves around, finishing last place. And then for St. John's, this is the year where they finish top four, finishes in seventh. It'll be interesting to watch. As we stated before, a couple episodes ago, this is one of those where three through 10, very interchangeable, very interchangeable. Chris, give me your final four. Who do you got going into the semifinals? I got Villanova, Creighton, and then I got Marquette, Seton Hall. And then in the finals, I got Villanova, Seton Hall, and then I got Villanova winning the whole thing. That's just a hunch. How funny would it be, though, if we do get the one versus two seed matchup that we've all been craving for, and it finally happens the year it's supposed to be the most unpredictable? That'd be pretty funny. What were your predictions again? So very similar Final Four. I'm actually going Nova, Creighton, and then Marquette, Seton Hall. Creighton, I will say, this is a team you do not want to sleep on. They were at one point tied for last place. Over the last couple weeks, they've heated up, and they're coming in with the biggest winning streak out of all the teams in the Big East. They've won their last five to finish 9-9 nine and nine in conference play. And if you look at the games and how they won it, they either shot the lights out, and then even when the shots weren't falling, because we know they're such an offensive-oriented team, they love the three ball, they found a way to will themselves to victory, get a couple stops, bear down, and continue that winning streak. So this is actually a scary team, in my opinion. Low-key scary team, but I think that Nova should beat Creighton, go to the championship once again. Marquette, Seton Hall, we've never seen a one versus two. I still think we're going to be waiting for a one versus two. I think Seton Hall will beat Marquette, and then we'll get a nice rematch of the 2016 championship game. And unfortunately, I think the Pirates will make me miserable. And I think <laughs> that Seton Hall will be holding up the banner. Isaiah Whitehead will fly in from wherever the heck he is now. Try and uh, yeah, no, I honestly think it's going to end a little bit of heartbreak, but I do think Nova does make it to the finals for the fifth straight year. I'm going to stick with my preseason gut. I think so far it hasn't been that bad in terms of predictions and guessing. Now that I look back at it, I'm like, wow, you know, some of these answers weren't too far off. But I do think that Nova will just make it to the finals. Unfortunately, lose. But ultimately, you know, five straight years in the finals. Not bad. Not bad. No, not at all. But back to your Creighton point, because I, I thought that was pretty interesting that you brought that up, that you'd feel like they're a pretty scary team. I, I mean, I completely agree, too, because, I mean, that game at Creighton was tough. I mean, I thought they had it in the bag pretty much the whole time, but it was a tough game. And then we saw what Creighton did at the Finn against Villanova. They were pretty much winning the entire game, and then Villanova was able to come back and break, uh, pull away late. So, yeah, Creighton scares me in that regard, because... Two tough matchups in a row, you feel like you might they might get you the third time. But as you said, it's kind of been debunked. But again, in this season, we just don't know. Who would you have as a dark horse? I know you always like to put that in your primer. Because personally, I think it's Georgetown. But I feel like that's kind of an easy pick. Who, who do you have? I went real outside the box here. I was leaning towards Georgetown just because they split the season series with Seen Hall. And then they're the type of team where, you know, where they're young. And if they get going... They could be pretty tough. They got a nice balance. We know how good that offense is. But I went real outside the box here. I went. I did go Creighton just because of how hot they are right now. And my other dark horse was St. John's, which is weird because I don't think we've seen an opening round team make it to the finals yet. I don't think that mm -hmm. has happened. I might have to double check. But 
you know, St. John, not only is St. John's home, but this is a team where you never know what you're going to get. Granted, they haven't beaten DePaul this year, which one is sad, but two, if they do get over DePaul, they're going up against a Marquette team, which they have beaten. And if Marquette is going to continue to turn the ball over at the rate they're going, I can totally see St. John's pulling off the upset. And then with a St. John's Seton Hall, man, that's going to be a pretty epic semifinal game. So I could see St. John's going on some streak, especially when they're trying to secure some NCAA tournament hopes. I know that they're in, according to a bunch of bracketologists, but you know, you'd rather put it in your hands as opposed to leave it up to them. So I would say those two are my main dark horses. You could definitely make an argument for Georgetown. I mean, that offense hasn't been a joke. They've got great balance. They're not just a front court team this year. We've seen what they can do. They got some big wins outside of their home arena. You could definitely go with them too. I will say I am totally anticipating Marquette to lose at some point. And probably because I said that now, they're probably just going to make to the finals. And we do get a one-two. But Marquette, I would hate to be in their position. If we flipped sides of the bracket, would not would not love that at all. Now, can you imagine going up against St. John's in the quarterfinals? That just sounds miserable, <laughs> especially with the way that the fan base has kind of been supporting them this year and then getting behind them. I mean, at the Garden quarterfinal matchup, that's a pretty intense quarterfinal matchup. Usually the quarterfinal matchups are villain over cakewalks, and uh, that would be bad. It, but then again, this year, if it's Providence, man, I, I, don't, I don't like it. I'm not saying they're going to lose, but that's going to be tough. Because Providence plays Villanova tough every time, regardless of where it is. In in the Big East tournament, you, you've said it before. They they always play them tough in the Big East tournament, especially tough in the Big East tournament. I'm not, I would not look forward to that. So maybe Butler does Villanova a favor, but then I don't know what to expect from Butler then. So I don't know. I don't want to pick and choose my next opponent. That just kind of sounds bad because that always comes to bite you in the butt. But Providence would be scary. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw A.J. Reeves started to get going again. I think he had a solid end of the regular season performance and started to look more like himself before he had that foot injury that has just been killing him. Not only did it sideline him for a while, but when he came back, he just hasn't been the same. But if he's starting to get into a groove and that team can find some offense outside of Diallo and Watson, ooh, ooh. But yeah, I you know I always said that Providence, no matter how good or bad they are, they always seem to give Nova a game. Never a guarantee. And then with Creighton, I don't know if you saw, but Mitch Ballack made Ethan Raggy look like a little boy on Saturday. He hit 11 three-pointers, which I believe either tied or broke a Big East record. So, yeah. <laughs> don't want to mess with that kind of guy getting hot in March. No. It's just like a goalie getting hot in the NHL playoffs. You'd be screwed if you run into him. So, praying that doesn't happen. Granted, going 11 for 12 from long range is one of those like once in a lifetime performances, but I don't want to test it out. I don't want to test it out. I don't want to, I don't want to touch that. <laughs> no, because <laughs> then you got a game plan for it and then they can just throw a complete curveball. Yeah. Like McDermott did when, uh, after the the first Racky game and they're like, oh yeah, we won't have Racky shoot any shots this time. We'll just have Doug go off. <laughs> I mean, obviously there's no Doug McDermott on creating this time around, but you know, you know what I mean? You game plan for one thing and then you completely disregard the other. It's funny. This year, I feel more confident in picking and staying with a path than I have in years past, but I also have very low confidence that this is actually what's going to be right because of how unpredictable this league is and how unpredictable the conference is. So much parity, even you know, one and two, Marquette's coming in cold. Nova had a little bit of a rut 
going in and then losing to Seton Hall in the regular season finale probably wasn't the ending that a lot of Nova fans wanted. So you never know. You never know what can happen. But, hey, I guess this means that we are getting a taste of March Madness. I'm totally down for this. Good thing is that we know that no matter what happens, we'll still have the NCAA tournament. But obviously, you know, I'm hoping that Nova makes it to the finals. I just want them to be there all throughout. I would love to go again to see them in a championship game because it's just it's more fun covering them than like, you know, if it was, I'm not going to say a team because it might happen because I said of a team. But yeah, you know, it's just more fun when they're in it. It's way more fun for us. More content, more content. But also just as Villanova fans, man, it's just so much more enjoyable when they ride the whole way of the journey. 100% because remember after they lost to Seton Hall in 2014, I don't remember what happened after that. Apparently Providence won the Big East Championship. I had no idea. <laughs> We're like, oh, that, that, was, that game was today? Oh, well, good for them. When they lost the quarterfinal game, I remember not wanting to watch any more of the tournament. I remember after they lost that, I don't, I don't even think I went to the class for the rest of the day. I was very sad. And then when it was Saturday, Championship Saturday, I remember telling myself like oh you know let, let's watch this game let's put it on and then when i put it on maybe 10 seconds of it i was like i i actually don't want to watch this this makes me sick i don't want to watch it and i honestly now that i remember that i don't want to feel that feeling again so please you know make it to the championship hopefully they'll walk out with a win hopefully they'll prove me wrong and hopefully we'll be talking about three-peating as biggie's tournament champions but hey with the way that this league is going you never know what can happen Hopefully we'll see like a Nova DePaul championship. That'd be lit. That'd be fun. Oh, that would be so fun. One versus 10. Oh, it would yeah. probably be like the whole world versus Nova just in that one instance, just because of the way DePaul is as complete underdogs and just being like the basement boys for so many years. But uh, it would be cool. It would be cool. I'm pretty stoked to be covering it again. I'll be there for Biggie's Coast Bias. Catherine Ryan will be there repping VU hoops the whole way. Love this time of year. Love this week. Very, very excited for tonight. I can't wait. It's just going to be a really fun marathon these next couple of days. And, you know, just with the way that the tournament and the conference has been growing, I wouldn't be surprised if this year is even more crazy than last year, especially with the way that it seems like everyone has a chance. This year, I could, I think you could honestly say everyone has a chance, or at least to make some noise. Everyone has a chance to make some noise, for sure. Well, Chris, it's that time of the day where we stop what we're doing, pop open the mailbag, and answer some questions that you, the listeners, the fans, have sent out to us. As always, you can tweet us at SONNPOD. Leave us a question, ask us anything, and we'll talk about it on the show. You can also leave it in the comments section on View Hoops in a podcast thread. Chris, we've got a few here. The first one is from Fred Rung. What a regular season and a Big East championship means so much more this year, considering where this team started despite the Biggies being down this year? See, that's a good question because it's kind of all relative. And we were kind of discussing this off air before where it's like it would mean a lot because, you know, this team wasn't expected to do a whole bunch and certainly not able to replicate last year. But at the same time, they were still expected to win the Big East. So I don't know if it would really mean more. I, I think it would probably be the hardest fought championship that this team has earned in the past few years. But I don't know if it would mean more. I think since they were still the favorites from the get-go, I think it just kind of kind of falls in that little bucket there where it's like, ah, we are the favorites, so you should win. As for the regular season title, I kind of agree. I think that Novo, you know, was the overwhelming favorite going into the year as preseason pick voted by the coaches to win the regular season title. 
it got a little close. And yeah, there, you know, there was certainly a time when it looked like Marquette was going to be able to snatch it away from them. But I think to win that and also the Big East Tournament Championship, that would actually mean a lot this year. You know, when I was starting to prep for the show and prep for the Big East Tournament and do some research, I realized that a Big East Tournament three-peat has never, ever happened. And I'm not only talking about post-realignment. I'm also talking going back to 1979-1980 when the Big East first formed. There has been no team in the old or new that has been able to pull off a Big East Tournament three-peat. There's been back-to-backs. There's been like two out of three. But no team has been able to pull off three consecutive tournament championships. So I think if Nova can do that, that's actually, you know, that's a historical feat. That's very impressive. Very impressive. So I think it will actually mean a lot this year if they were able to pull off such history or such an achievement like that just because it's never been done. And then, of course, you know, doing that on top of winning the regular season again, icing on the cake, the Big East still runs through the main line, all that good stuff. So, yeah, I think it would actually mean a lot, even if the Big East is quote-unquote down this year. But even in the Big East being down this year, as we see, you know, it's just a dogfight. You never know. You never know. No guarantees. Nope, none at all. But I would say if, if they do beat like a Seton Hall or Marquette in that championship game, I think it would mean a lot because I feel like that game would be special. And I think, like you said, with that three-peat narrative going into that game, I think that would mean a lot. I guess that's kind of my modified answer. <laughs> The next question is from Briz underscore two. He wants to know, what does Marquette's three-game losing streak mean? It's actually four. Maybe he tweeted this out before that last game. Yeah, giving them a little bit too much credit, those guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. If it was only three straight losses, that means they're they're tied with us for Big East tournament. I mean, uh, Big East regular season champions. I think it's alarming. You, granted, Nova had a little bit of its bumps in the road coming down the stretch here, but uh, everyone knows going into the postseason play, especially when everything's so finite, everything is winner go home. Now, with the Big East tournament, you know, you might lose this, and you still have the NCAAs to look forward to, but it is alarming. You want to be able to be at your best or come in flaming hot going into postseason play. Marquette right now has not looked that great. Turnovers, late game execution has been very poor. And just mistakes that you didn't see from them earlier on, especially when they were doing so well. So I don't know if that's a coaching thing. I don't know if it's just Marquette needs to execute better, if it's on the players. But there's something wrong going on there. And losing four straight is never fun. It's not fun in the beginning of the season. It's not fun in the middle of the season. But it's especially not that great. If you were a team that was one of the top dogs in the conference, and now all of a sudden you're starting to run out of gas and then you start limping into postseason play. Yeah, I do agree with you with the fact that losing four in a row at the end of the year isn't isn't exactly the best. I mean, if you're going to ever lose four in a row, I guess you'd rather have it in the middle of the season. That way you can correct it. That being said, I still believe Marquette's is still pretty a good team. I don't think they're top 10 good like they were a couple weeks ago, but I also don't think they're at the bottom of the top 25 polls. I think they're somewhere in the middle. I think their mistakes, a lot of their mistakes could be corrected, like you said. Like turnovers have been up a bunch and I think those could be corrected they were all remember from the Villanova game a lot of those were unforced turnovers I think you can correct that also what's led to their downfall these past couple weeks they're shooting Marcus Howard has been absolutely horrible lately and he can't shoot the ball worth anything right now 
at least compared to what he was shooting before. So I feel that it's just a cold spell combined with a lot of unforced turnovers has led to this downfall. I do believe that, yes, it is concerning, like you said, that this is happening at the end of the year. And is Wojo the type of coach to kind of correct these mistakes in these off days get leading up to the Big East tournament and leading into the NCAA tournament? I don't know. Personally, I don't think so. But I think they do have enough talent to potentially win a game or two in the NCAA tournament. It's not great, obviously, but I still think they're good enough to make a little run here and there. Yeah, they're clearly talented. I don't think it was a fluke or anything like that. I just think that depending on who wins Coach of the Year later today, I think it'll either confirm or show why Wojo, who's he's been one of the contenders, if he ends up winning it, It'll show, okay, he deserves it. If he's able to correct it, and then Marquette makes a run to the finals and then wins the Big East tournament. Or if not, and the downfall continues, and maybe they get upset in the quarterfinals, then you're like, yeah, there's there's a lot of work here for Wojo and his staff to still figure out because now you not only have you kind of crapped out at the end of the regular season, now you just get an early exit in the Big East tournament. You got the NCAA tournament coming up, and... The expectations were so high just a few weeks ago, and then all of a sudden the calendar changes to March, and now you disappear? Not a good look. Not a good look. So there's a lot of soul-searching that Marquette needs to do right now, just as Nova had its soul-searching to do when it was going through its losing stretches as well. We'll see how they bounce back. Should be interesting. They don't play until tomorrow on Thursday night, so we'll see how they respond and who they go up against. The last question or questions is from Aaron Thomason. Now, a couple of these we answered, but I'm just going to read the tweet out to you. Do you think Nova wins the Big East tournament? If not, when will they get eliminated? Will Jay stick with the same rotation? Who's your Big East tournament MVP? So as we answered, Chris, you had Nova winning against Eaton Hall. I had Nova losing to Eaton Hall in the championship game. It seems like the wide consensus... It seems like the wide consensus seems to be that most people think that Nova will make the championship game, which I, you know, I totally agree with. You look at our staff answers, you look at just the odds, the numbers going into this tournament, definitely in Nova's favor. They either make it to the championship game and win, or they fall short of the title, but they make it there for a fifth straight year. Now, the question is, will Jay stick with the same rotation? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Unless if there's some sort of injury or, you know, someone ate something bad the night before, they're definitely going, they're definitely rolling seven, eight deep, if that. Yeah. Don't think they're going to unleash JQ in the Big East tournament, unfortunately. If that's what we're asking for, I mean, that's what I'm asking for. It ain't happening, though. Yeah. He seems to do well in the garden. I just don't think we'll have enough time to see that. As for Big East Tournament MVP, I think it depends on who wins, right? So Yeah. So in your case, you have Nova beating Georgetown. I would guess the MVP prediction would be Phil Booth. Uh yeah, I got Nova over Hall. And I I don't know. I'll give it to Eric Pascal just for variety. Regard you. Yeah, well, I want to see Eric win a reward. It'd be cool. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh yeah, Nova over Seton Hall, sorry. I think I said Georgetown, I forgot what I said. Yeah, no, it's all, but, it's all good. So I see Seton Hall beating Nova. If it's not Miles Powell, something seriously wrong <laughs> happened. <laughs> or that means someone did better than Miles Powell. And if that's actually a thing that can happen for three straight games on that Seton Hall roster, I would be shocked. I was actually going to go outside the box here and actually say if it is Nova Seton Hall and Nova does beat Seton Hall, could, can you still give it to the loser? And like, I, w- I would probably give it to Powell then. Like, as, there hasn't been a loser Big East tournament MVP, right? 
At least not in recent memory. Uh, the last time that the Biggies handed the MVP to a losing team member, that was in 09 when I believe Louisville won, but they gave the MVP award to Johnny Flynn of Syracuse. All I got to say about Johnny Flynn is remember when everyone was like hyping him up and then nothing, nothing happened? Yeah, I remember when the Timberwolves took him and Rubio instead of Steph Curry and back to, with back-to-back picks. Great time. Great time to be alive. But yeah, that was, that was part of that Syracuse team. That was the six-overtime Syracuse team uh, against uh, Connecticut. It was that tournament. And Louisville ended up beating Villanova in the semifinals that year, I believe, as well. Yeah, that was a fun year, 09, um, as we all know. Actually, much more recent than I thought. So, I mean, I could see that happening, too. I could see Villanova-Seaton Hall matchup. If that happens and Villanova wins, I could still see them giving it to Powell because that's probably how Seaton Hall is going to get there. And I bet you Booth and Pascal will cancel each other out or something like that, and they'll just give it to Powell because of the stats. But that, but that, I, I wouldn't bank on that. You know, the, the losing team getting an MVP player is pretty rare. But I would say that the two candidates for that, just because of sheer volume of points, that they get to score and touches they get would have to be Marcus Howard and Miles Powell. But yeah, and according to my scenario, if Nova were to lose in the championship game to Seton Hall, it would go to Miles Powell. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the state of the Nova Nation. If you haven't already, please subscribe. We are on a number of different places now. The service switch is complete. We are now on our new home with the View Hoops podcast network. Still stay with the Nova Nation. We're still the same show. Yeah, we got a few ads now. Yeah, when you go look us up, it's all under the View Hoops banner. But we're still state of the Nova Nation. We're on a new server. We're on a new service. We're part of a new network, SB Nation. It's a great time. So please subscribe, follow, just search for View Hoops. You can do so on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. For all of you who previously subscribed, you may have noticed that everything automatically transferred. We were able to get that set up, which was nice. A nice little server redirect. Make it all nice and easy. But for any of you newcomers, yeah, please go ahead and subscribe. Rate us five star, five star, five star, five star. Helps us get the network. Helps us get the show out more to all the different nationers around the world. And also, please follow the podcast at S-O-N-N pod on Twitter. And you can follow View Hoops at View Hoops on social media. That's good for Twitter and Instagram at View Hoops. You got to check back at ViewHoops.com. We are just pumping out content. This week is going to be so much fun. We're going to have Catherine Ryan covering the games over at Madison Square Garden. I'll be there. I'll be there for a different website, but I'll be doing some double agent work and I'll be also doing some View Hoops stuff too. It's going to be a great time. We are now officially in the best part of the year where we're talking tournaments. We're talking brackets. We're going to be talking about the Big Daddy soon. But first, got to get through the Big East tournament. Check back every day at the site. I already have my big, giant preview up there. Hey, check that out. Check out the recaps. Check out the different articles. Check out the different analysis pieces that we'll be pumping out this week. Have fun. You're going to the Big East tournament. Travel safely. Enjoy New York City. It's a great time, especially just the way that it brings all the fans from across the country repping the Big East at Madison Square Garden. No Big Ten this year. It's all us. It's going to be a great time. It's going to be a fun time. Hope to see you all there at the games. Chris, are you going to be there? Uh, Hopefully. If they make the final, I, I could be able to go on Saturday. We can't make the other two days. So I'm praying they get there. Sounds good. Sounds good. Everybody enjoy New York. Check back at View Hoops. Follow View Hoops. 
follow the pod. And you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at Erepay5. Yeah, follow the pod, follow V Hoops, follow Eugene. Nova Nation, have a good rest of the week. No pod till Tuesday. When we come back, we're going to be talking about this tournament. We're going to be talking about Selection Sunday. We're going to be looking at the future, filling out brackets, this and that. It's going to be March fever is already here. Get excited. Get pumped. Go Cats.